Well, praise God. Welcome to church. My name is Doug, one of the pastors here at Parkview, and it is my distinct joy and privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning and to proclaim Christ from the Old Testament. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to open it up to Deuteronomy chapter 2. As a church, we uh, started a couple weeks ago a series in the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, I just love, I just can remember, you know, it was maybe 15 years ago or so, I was sitting in this room and I was listening to Pastor Gilmore preach out of the, the book of Isaiah. And for me, I often wondered, what was the role of the Old Testament? Is, is the Old Testament something that we should be preaching, should be studying, should be, be reading? And, and there was a Sunday morning where Pastor Gilmore opened up the book of Isaiah, and it was like the Old Testament just came alive to me. He began to, to proclaim Christ out of the Old Testament, to show connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it was just, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And since then, I've really grown in my appreciation and the understanding of why the Old Testament is so important. And, and really the goal, regardless of what we're preaching the, it, on Sunday morning, regardless of what book we open to, the goal is always the same, to proclaim Christ from God's Word. And so this morning, we get to do that from the book of Deuteronomy. If you are maybe new to the Bible, it's it's towards the beginning. It's the fifth book in the Old Testament, and it's a, a, a wonderful book. I mean, for me, just as we've started the series and, and started to sort of march through God's Word in Deuteronomy, um, it has just been such a source of encouragement and hope and life for me just in the last couple of weeks. And so this morning, we get to, to direct our attention specifically to Deuteronomy chapter 2. What we see here in these first couple of chapters, the first four chapters of the book of Deuteronomy is really, it's, it's Moses' speech. It's, the whole book of Deuteronomy is divided up essentially sort of into three different speeches that Moses delivers to God's people. And these first four chapters of the first speech here is, is Moses is delivering these words to the, God's people right before they go into the promised land and before Moses dies. And in these first four chapters, Moses' goal, what he's trying to do is he's retelling the journey of God's people in the wilderness to this point in time, towards the promised land. And Moses exhorts the people of God to respond to God's word with obedience, that they might listen and live. It's what we're calling the title of the series, Listen and live. So, so Moses is retelling the story of Israel to the people of God that they may listen to his words so they may live. In chapter 1, we saw that Moses reminds them, the people, of their rebellious decisions, the rebellious decisions that people made and how their disobedience really brought about setbacks in their journey to the promised land. These, these setbacks, this, these, these difficult decisions and their disobedience really serves for God's people now as a, a warning and for us as well um, to not follow in their footsteps, right? Seeing the setbacks that they experienced that were directly a result of their disobedience, he reminds them of this story and reminds them, you don't want to go that direction, okay? Chapter 2, again, he's retelling their story, but the tone is different, in chapter 2. Moses reminds them in chapter 2, not of their setbacks, but rather of their victories. Victories that came about due to their obedience and God's faithfulness. And this morning, as we look at chapter 2, God is exhorting us to follow the path of obedience. It's 
It's ultimately what chapter 2 is all about. Moses is reminding the people of God of the faithfulness of God in the past so they may take heart in God in the present. And so what I'm going to do is read a portion of chapter 2 for us this morning. Chapter 2 has got 37 verses in it. I'm not going to read all 37 verses, but I'll read sort of a selected section of chapter 2. So we'll start off and I'll start by reading 1 through 9 and then I will jump ahead to a couple other sections, okay? This is God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea as the Lord told me. And for many days we traveled around Mount Seir. Then the Lord said to me, you have been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward and command the people. You are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau who live in Seir. And they will be afraid of you, so be very careful. Do not contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as for the sole of your foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall purchase food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. So we went on, away from our brothers, the people of Esau who live in Seir, away from the Arabah road and the Elath and Ezion Geber. And we turned and went in the direction of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle for I will not give you their land for a possession, because I have given it to our, to the people of Lot for a possession. We'll skip down to verse 13. Now rise up and go over the brook of Zered. So we went over the brook Zered. And the time from our leaving Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the brook of Zered was 38 years until the entire generation, that is the men of war, had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the camp until they had perished. So as soon as all the men of war had perished and were dead from among the people, the Lord said to me, today you are to cross the border of Moab at Ayr. And when you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them or contend with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot for a possession. Verse 24 and 25. Rise up, set out on your journey, and go over the valley of the Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you and all the people who are under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Verse 36 and 37. From Eroer, which is at the edge of the valley of Arnon, and from the city that is in the valley, as far as Gilead, there was not a city too high for us. For the Lord our God gave into our hands, gave all into our hands. Only to the land of the sons of Ammon you did not draw near, that is, to all the banks of the river of Jabbok and the cities of the hill country, whatever the Lord our God had forbidden us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, church. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. 
as it comes to us right here and right now, Lord. We, we thank you that your word is truth. Lord, and we ask that you would now write it onto our hearts, your eternal truth. Lord, that you would use your word now, Father, here in Deuteronomy chapter 2, Lord, to, to shape us and to form us, to change us as a people, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would use your word this morning in a powerful way to help us be the people that you have called us to be. Lord, we love you. And we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, a little over a week ago, my wife and I maybe made a huge mistake. Is this a safe place? I feel like it's a safe place. You guys look like safe people. Maybe made a huge mistake. We bought a puppy. We bought a puppy. I know what you're thinking. What are you thinking? Why did you buy a puppy, right? And uh, shortly after we bought the puppy, I was asking myself that same question. What in the world were we thinking? Why did we buy a puppy? And what made me think this question is after we got the puppy, I found myself Googling, how do you get your puppy to obey you? <laughs> how do you get your puppy to listen and to obey you, right? I'm not an expert at this. I have a hard enough time doing it with my children, let alone my dog, okay? How do I get this little creature to listen to my words and to do what I say? How do I do that? It's a good question. It's a question that most of us should be asking as we approach this text today, that, that all of us really should be asking about ourselves. In fact, as we consider our relationship to the Lord, it's a question we should wonder, how does God get us to obey? As you read his word, as you open up the Bible, you see the theme of obedience over and over and over again in the scriptures. He's given us a word. He wants us to hear the word and to do his word. How does God bring about the obedience of his people? Well, here in Deuteronomy chapter 2, we will show you, we will look at this morning, one way that the Lord does this. And so the big idea, what we see Moses doing here is, is he is proclaiming the faithfulness of God to the people of God so that they may re respond in obedience to God. Moses, as they stand on the threshold of the promised land, reminds God's people of how the Lord has been faithful to them. Even in the wilderness days, in the difficult days of, of traveling through the wilderness, the Lord has remained faithful to them. And it's this faithfulness that Moses wants to be the motivation for God's people to walk in obedience. And we will see that this truth is not just relevant for the people of Israel several thousand years ago, but it's also relevant for us this morning that God's faithfulness to us should help us to take steps of obedience to him. So this morning, we have just two points. The first thing we're going to consider is the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God. We're told in chapter 1 that the previous generation, after refusing to enter the promised land, was commanded by God to head south toward the Red Sea. The people instead went north. They were quickly defeated by the Amorites. And verse 1 of chapter 2 is essentially a restatement of what God commanded the people to do in chapter 1, verse 40. 
Verse 1 says, Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Lord, uh, in the direction of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me. This chapter begins by introducing, really, for the nation of Israel, what is a second chance for these people. And their return to obedience is the beginning of a more positive tone that will really color the next two chapters. God's people are now obeying God's word. And for many days, we traveled around Mount Seir. Verse 14 tells us that these many days as they traveled around Mount Seir actually equaled 38 years. For 38 years... They wandered in the wilderness without a land. And this was a direct consequence of their sin. Their dislocation was, was the discipline of the Lord brought about by their own disobedience. This is the discipline of the Lord. 38 years wandering in the wilderness. No land to call their own. A whole generation kept from entering the promised land. While this season of discipline, the people will learn not only that it is never worthwhile to sin and to disobey the Lord, they will also learn a great deal about the faithfulness of God, even in the midst of their disobedience. So, how does God show in this chapter that he's faithful to these people? Three different ways. First way, God's faithfulness is revealed, we see, in chapter 2, through God's providence. Through God's providence. God tells Moses in verse 3, you've been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward. God directs them to head toward Mount Seir, which is the land of Edom, home of the descendants of Esau. God warns them not to fight with them. Do not contend with them. Don't harass them. Be careful. Many think that scarcity of rainfall in that area maybe about five inches annually, would leave this, these people, this, a huge herd of people coming through, um, potentially to deplete the Edomites of their store of water. And so, so whatever you take from them, purchase, he says. Pay for whatever you eat and drink so that you might avoid war. God's careful instructions reveal that Israel, through God's, though God's covenant people, are not free to take any land they wanted. He had provided rather a particular land for them. This reality here, along with the statement in verse 5, I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession, demonstrates that God is sovereign over all of the land and all of the people. Think about what that must have communicated to God's people. A people who had refused to enter the promised land because they were afraid of what might lay beyond the Jordan. The people were tall. The, the cities were fortified. We don't stand a chance. And here God says, listen, I've even given the people of Esau a land. What must this have communicated to God's people? If God would honor the right of Edom, later in chapter 2 we see Moab and Ammon, to possess their own land, how much more would he honor the Israelites' claim to the promised land? God's own people, his chosen people. How much more would he provide for them? God's providence comes out in chapter 2. We see that God is faithful through his providence. And we would be good to study God's providence. Providence, God's providence simply means to, to, to provide for or sustain, govern the universe. He, he is through, by providing and sustaining, God is 
governing the entire universe. He has complete control over the universe and he's able to, to provide for and to care for his people certainly. God's power upholds heaven and earth. All the creatures, he, he governs them all. The grass that covers the earth, the, the water that covers the seas. All things come not by chance, but they are brought about by his fatherly hand. This is the Heidelberg Catechism, question number 27. God's providence reveals God's faithfulness to his people. And it's so important for us as God's people to remember his providence for us. It's so important. It helps us as we patiently wait through the midst of adversity. For God's people, it reminded them how he was with them in the wilderness, providing for them, directing them, moving nations around, making way for them, giving certain lands to certain people. God was in complete control. And so while they, they look and they consider the stories of people who they saw in the promised land, they are not to be filled with fear, but filled with faith. Because God, their God, is in control. He provides for them over and over and over again. This is God's way of seeing two things in the universe, throughout the universe. He will see to it. If he gave them a land and called them to take possession of it, the Lord will see that it happens. He's faithful. We also see that God's, faith, God's faithful, faithfulness come out of chapter 2, not just in his providence, but also as we consider God's promises. In verses 9 through 25, we learn of their journey past the land of the Moabites. These are the descendants of Lot and the Ammonites. And just like he told them about the Edomites, again, God tells them not to harass, not to, to contend, don't make war with these people. In, this, in the midst of this passage, Moses reminds the people of how he, he dealt with disobedience of the previous generation this is what he says in verses 14 and 15. In the time from our leaving Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the sea of the brook of Zered was 38 years until the entire generation, that is the men of war, had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. He indeed, for indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the camp until they had perished. By reminding the people of this, by reminding that, that God had said, none of the people who disobeyed me will make it into the promised land, Moses said, in effect, that God is faithful to his promises, even to his threats. Even his threats he will carry out, right? The lesson is very, very simple for the people of God. What God says, he will do. You can take that to the bank any day of the week. What God says, he will do. Look how I dealt with your fathers. 38 years, the amount of death that this generation saw and experienced, while painful, it also served as a constant reminder that God is a promise-keeping God, that what God says, God does. And even the stench of death in the camp reminded them daily that God takes his word incredibly seriously. And he always does what he says he will do. He is faithful to his word. Think about what that truth must have done for these people as they journeyed toward the Jordan, as they head towards the promised land, as they stood there that day and recounted all that they had seen. The smell of death itself 
was a reminder that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. So if God promises he will deliver them to the land beyond the Jordan, quite honestly, it doesn't matter what's in the land waiting for them. If God says, that's your land, go take it, guess what? They better go take it. He will give it to them. No matter the obstacles, God's faithfulness is revealed in chapter 2 as we consider God's promises. A third way that we see and consider his faithfulness, in verses 26 through 37, we see God's power on display. Chapter 2 ends with the description of the conquest of the Transjordan, the, the land just east of the Jordan. And unlike their interaction with the Edomites or the Moabites or the Ammonites, um, this, this one results in war. These two, we'll see one next week at the beginning of chapter 3, result in war. Commentators point out that there are really two reasons why God allowed Israel to fight and to conquer these nations. The first, as a warning to those that are in the land of Canaan. That as God's people march towards the promised land, as they come into the Trans-Jordan Valley, as they approach the promised land and they, they conquer these two people, those in Canaan will see the destruction. They will hear of the news and there will be no doubt that the people who are coming their way are a mighty people. Even if the people who live in Canaan have mighty fortresses with huge walls and walk around like giants in the land, news will spread. The warning will be clear that God's people are on the move. It will serve as a warning to those who are there. Another reason why it's essential is to make the land available for the two and a half tribes that would eventually settle east of the Jordan. They attempted to move through, the text tells us, peacefully. But the text also tells us that God hardens the spirit of King Sihon and made his heart obstinate. Reminds me of the story of the Exodus. God did the same thing to Pharaoh. See, after all of this, through all of this, God is on a mission not just to reveal his faithfulness to his people, but in doing so to demonstrate his glory to the entire world. That all of the nations would see that this God is the one true God. And so these battles are opportunities for God to put his power on display. A people who have seen defeat after defeat, who've been wandering without a home in the wilderness for 38 years, suddenly march into a land and take claim of the people, just wipe out the place. It's God's power that is on display. Clearly they couldn't do it by themselves. They needed some other force, somebody else. God was with his people. And the rest of the world would know it. If God could defeat King Sihon and in chapter 3, Og, then he could certainly give victory over the strongholds of Canaan. In summary, chapter 2 highlights God's faithfulness to a disobedient, undeserving people. And this, my friends, is a recurring theme that we see throughout Scripture. God's persistent redemption of an unworthy, unthankful people. And this isn't just a story of how God redeems his people in the Bible. It certainly is that. It is also a story of how God redeems his people this very day. If you're sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, you don't know my story. You don't know my mess. You don't know the things that I have done. You're right, I don't. 
What I do know is my story. What I do know is my sin and my filth. And I know that there's nothing in my life when I consider my sin, there's nothing in my life that's more precious, nothing that's more amazing than the very grace of God, than God's grace. In fact, I would suggest that if you are thinking right now, God's grace is not for me, you're precisely who God's grace is for. See, Deuteronomy chapter 2, just the story that we see here this morning, really, it shows us that this God of the Bible is a God of second chances. We see this not only here in Deuteronomy chapter 2, we see it all throughout Scripture. I mean, Moses' story, I mean, Moses is a man who got a second chance, right? He's a man who, who murdered somebody, yet God used him, called him, he, he disobeyed him as he was leading God's people. Yet God continued to use him, gave him a second chance. Jonah, you guys are familiar with the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah, a, a, a prophet who fled God's command, but the Lord hunted him down, wouldn't let him go, and used him for his purposes. I mean, we can just go character after character throughout the Bible. We will see that God is a God who gives second chances. I love the story of Peter in John chapter 21. Peter, a, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, who completely abandons his Savior at his most, at Jesus' weakest moment, at his most needy moment. Jesus den Peter denies Jesus. I don't know who he is. Yet after he was crucified and resurrected, Jesus came to Peter and restored Peter. He gave him a second chance. And he said, in spite of your sin, I will use you. You are still the rock who I'm going to build my church on. Go now and feed my sheep. See, the truth is, every single one of us, we are all people who need a second chance. Every single one of us is going to blow it. If we haven't already blown it a million times, we're going to blow it. We are constantly in need of God's grace. As we read the Bible, we see person after person, just men and women fill this book, men and women who are desperately in need, who have received God's grace and been given a second chance. Stories that stand for us as moments of God's grace. As we consider the faithfulness that God displayed and demonstrated to his people, Deuteronomy chapter 2, we see that this God, God of the Bible, is a faithful God. He's a gracious God. He's a God who loves to give second chances. Secondly, second point, how do we respond to this God, this faithfulness of God? What is the appropriate response to God's faithfulness? How should we respond to the grace of God? This is the whole reason why Moses is preaching to these people. This is what he wants from them. He wants a response. He's telling them all these stories, the way things were, because he wants a response. He wants a particular response from these people. He wants that they would listen to his words so that they may live. He, he wants them to avoid repeating what happened to the previous generation, rebellion against God's word, the commands of God. No, for these people, Moses simply wants one thing. He wants obedience. The reason he provides story after story in chapter 2 of God's faithfulness to God's people, his providence, his promises, his power, is so that they might provide, these stories might provide motivation for his people to now obey God's word. 
He tells us so. I mean, we'll see this language over and over and over again throughout our study of Deuteronomy. First verse of chapter 4. And now, o, o Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you might live. Moses wants God's people to hear God's words and to obey God's commands that they might live well in God's land. That's what he wants for his people. Obedience. In fact, following chapter 4, the, the second major section of the book essentially is a summary of the law and the, the consequences of breaking the law. But before Moses gets into summarizing God's law, he reminds God's people of God's grace. In fact, we will see that later, the last four chapters of his grace, uh, of this book are, as well, are, are chapters that are filled with the grace of God. The commentators of the ESV Study Bible point out that in the whole book of Deuteronomy, the law, the major section of the book, is surrounded on both ends by grace. And keeping the law is a response to grace received and grace anticipated. Folks, this is the message of the gospel. Yes, God wants us to respond to his word with obedience. However, we should all recognize that the truth is that none of us have the ability to perfectly obey God's word. And so if you're sitting here today thinking, you know, I know what God's word says and I can't keep all of it, then praise God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're in good company because nobody in here, no matter how much we stand up here and say, obey God's word, the truth is, yes, God wants our obedience, but none of us can perfectly always obey God's law. That's why we need God's grace. The Bible very clearly tells us that none of us are righteous, not even one, that we've all turned aside and, and none of us are able to fully obey this law. We just can't. It's an impossibility. But the wonderful news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that where we are unable to obey, God provides a way. He demonstrates his faithfulness to us through the offering of his son Jesus, who fully trusts the Father, who was completely obedient even to the point of death on the cross. So does God still want obedience to the law? You bet. But the good news for us is that the way he accomplishes that is through the, the sacrificial death of his completely obedient son who, who's, who hangs up on the cross for you and for me who cannot fully keep the law. He dies in our place. This is the good news of the gospel. He wants us to walk in obedience, absolutely. But he also knows we can't, so he provides a way. His name is Jesus. Because of Jesus, how much more can we appreciate the faithfulness of God? In Christ, the Lord has graciously provided for us. In Christ, the Lord has fulfilled all the promises to us. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ which is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. God has completely demonstrated his faithfulness to us. If, you want to, if you're wondering right now, well, that's how they saw God's faithfulness to him, and you're wondering, how can I see God's faithfulness to me? We have two words for you this morning, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's faithfulness to you. Jesus is the way for us to life, and we trust in him and the work that he has accomplished. So the first way that we can respond 
The first way we can respond to God's faithfulness is to put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and to recognize that his obedience that he accomplished on the cross is for us. And now that, that, that holiness is imputed, that righteousness of Jesus is imputed to us. As we give him our sins, he gives us his perfection. And that's how God sees us now in the obedience and holiness of Christ. Second thing, how else can we respond to this? There's a, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 78. And Psalm 78 follows sort of a similar pattern where, it, where the psalmist recounts the stories of God throughout the Old Testament. And, and the, the exhortation in Psalm 78 is, is pretty simple. As he recounts the, the glories, glorious deeds of our Lord, he does so that others might listen to those glorious stories and communicate them to the next generation. Listen to this section. It says, so that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So the idea here is that, as a psalmist is writing this, is that as you remember and recount the wonderful works of the Lord, the idea is that you remember them, you, you take heart yourself. You, you, you set your hope in God, and then you, you turn and you communicate them to the next generation. And so for us, the command is simple. We must be a people who are constantly remembering God's faithfulness to us. The truth is, every single one of us will walk through wilderness moments. If you haven't already, they're coming your way. Every single one of us will spend time in the wilderness where we will be tempted to question God's faithfulness. This morning, as I was finishing up this message, I got, within 15 minutes, two notifications from people in this church. Two separate people, one at East Campus, one here. Completely tragic things happened. Completely tragic. Huge loss, suffering, pain. Two wilderness moments. Two wilderness moments. And they, they reached out. And it was really, I think, God's providence that I, we were looking in this passage this morning. Because the temptation for both of those individuals would be to misinterpret their situation as a lack of God's faithfulness. But rather, in the midst of their wilderness situation, God wants them to remember his faithfulness to them, his providence so that they can trust in him, his promises so that they know, they know that he has a purpose for them and that God can do what he has said, that he is faithful to his word and his power so that whatever challenge that they're walking through, that they know that ultimately God can bring them through. And it's the same thing that we need as we face our wilderness moments. I can remember just a number of years ago when my family went through, again, tremendous loss tremendous pain and I, I'll tell you I mean just uh, several weeks of being de depressed if there's one thing I didn't want to do it was put my head in this book every time I opened it I didn't want to read it did not want to read it but do you know what the Lord did in his kindness he put people in my life people from this church who knew that it would be hard for me to put my nose in this book and you know what those people did they spoke God's word to me so that I couldn't get away from it. 
They reminded me of God's faithfulness, his providence, his promises, his, his power and his purposes. And in that wilderness moment, I was reminded of God's faithfulness. And it was precisely what I needed so that I could move forward in obedience. We must obey God's word. We must remember God's faithfulness to us. And we must be a church. I mean, because the truth is, here's the deal, guys. Especially in this year of renewal, I think there's a temptation to think about all the challenges and obstacles we face. And I'll be the first to confess, oftentimes my thought life is filled primarily with those challenges. The difficulties that we've walked through. I mean, COVID, this is maybe the fullest I've seen in this room all year. Praise God. I love it. But I, this year seems like it's been one challenge just after another. And if I'm not careful, I can be tempted to focus on those challenges. But here's the truth. If you've been around here much, you know that God has used this church in some powerful ways throughout the years. God has used this church in mighty ways, not just here in Iowa City, but throughout the nations. And we need to commit ourselves to remembering God's faithfulness to us, the ways that he has provided miraculously for us as a people. We need to remember those evidences of God's grace for us as a people and to commit to, to proclaiming those to one another as well. So as we go through wilderness moments, we must never question God's faithfulness to us. Nothing, if you are with the Lord, nothing can separate you. It's the good news of the gospel. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much just for your word this morning. And uh, Lord, just reminded, um, Lord, of our need for you, our great, great need for you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who loves to give second chances. You're a God who makes, while you make your way and your law very clear, Lord, we thank you that you also Father, extend your grace to us as your people. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who remember your faithfulness, who speak it, who encourage one another with it, Lord. Father, that we might be the people that you have called us to be. Lord, that we would be filled not with fear but with faith. That we would, we would trust in your provision, Father that we would remember your promises to us, Lord, and that we would expect to see your power on display through us. Lord, we love you, and we ask these things in your name. Amen.